Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. Hi, I'm Carmen Baskoff here with Lydia Brown. We're the producers of Where We Live, and we're taking a few moments out of your podcast just to ask you to uh, think about um, making a donation to continue allowing us to produce Where We Live and uh, bring it to you every day. Uh, The number to donate is 1-800-584-2788, or you can go online to wnpr.org slash donate. Think about the content that you hear on this station and specifically on this program, where each day we work hard to keep you connected to your community, to the issues that matter most to the people in your backyard. If that is something that you value, we hope you will support it today. It's quick, it's easy, and it's secure, and it's so appreciated by us. one 800 or online at wnpr.org, and thank you. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. What's behind President Trump's latest remarks promising new tariffs for Mexico? And how will it affect, or new, new tariffs rather, on Mexico? And how will it affect Connecticut manufacturers, some who are already caught in the middle of the U.S.-China trade war? Coming up, we're going to dive into these questions with Ben Castleman. He's a New York Times reporter. We'll also ask him how these tariffs could impact your wallet. First, the Connecticut General Assembly is close to passing a budget on time. The legislative session isn't over until this Wednesday, so what kinds of deals will be made between now and then? One perennial topic that has surfaced in the last few days of the session is talk of a new Connecticut casino. And no, we're not talking about the one in East Windsor. To update us, joining me now in studio is Emily Munson, a state capital reporter for Hearst Connecticut Media. Emily, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, so I know on the show uh, several times we've talked about the plans by uh, the Mashantucket and Mohegans to build a new casino in East Windsor, uh, Connecticut, to compete uh, with uh, MGM Springfield, which opened uh, last fall. But now there's talk of a deal, possibly, uh, between the tribes and city leaders in Bridgeport. I believe in reporting on this. Uh, what's the latest? So these conversations between Bridgeport City officials and the tribes have surfaced in the last two weeks. Previously, the Lamont administration was working to negotiate uh, a casino deal, and they were talking to MGM Resorts International, who has proposed a casino in Bridgeport. They were talking to the two Connecticut tribes, and city officials were also involved in those conversations. But they really hit a stalemate in their negotiations. They weren't able, able to advance. So Connecticut Speaker of the House, Joe Arasimowitz, uh, he's a Democrat and um, the top Democrat in the House. He really took this issue up as his mantle and decided to bring the parties together again to try to advance a deal. And what we've seen is those conversations have continued over the past two weeks to the point where um, the city officials and the tribes are now swapping concrete proposals back and forth in the hopes of reaching an agreement. Is that unusual for the House Speaker to step in and try to negotiate or help these negotiations take place between the city of Bridgeport and the tribes? In some ways it is. Um, Earlier this year, it was understood that a casino deal was going to have to be negotiated by Governor Ned Lamont's administration because um, it involves a compact between the state and two tribal nations. And so it was understood that these were 
government-to-government conversations. Um, however, with with that deal kind of collapsing, um, I, I think the legislature saw an opening, and any deal uh, that the governor negotiated would have to be approved by the legislature. So I think for the legislature to take a more active role now is a, a bit unusual, but not totally out of the ballpark. You mentioned uh, MGM was interested in uh, a plan in Bridgeport. So tell us what their plan was and how it differs from your reporting of now uh, the city of Bridgeport and uh, the two Connecticut tribes trying to figure out if, if they can actually operate a casino down in Bridgeport. Yes, MGM has had a proposal on the table for a couple of years. It's for a $675 million waterfront resort casino. Um, it would be located at Steel Point, um, which is uh, on the on the waterfront in Bridgeport Harbor, fairly close to 95. The property is owned by a Miami-based developer called RCI Group, and MGM and RCI Group have had a land contract since September 2017, and that will expire um, in September 2019 unless it... Um, is or has been um, continued. <clears throat> and um, what we're seeing now with the new proposal, at least from the city, is uh, a casino probably of a smaller scale. And we're not entirely sure at this point if it's going to contain a hotel and other resort-like amenities, such as a spa and restaurants, and that kind of thing. Uh, we should uh, mention that uh, House Speaker Joe Arasimowitz, who had been working behind the scenes on this Bridge- Bridgeport proposal, uh, this is actually what he said to reporters last week regarding MGM's plan to build in Bridgeport. An MGM casino in Bridgeport was never going to happen because of the compact that we have with the tribes. So let's put a, t- a plan on the table that could actually pass. Uh, since then, the tribes have now made a counter offer, which you reported on. So uh, explain a little bit more about what they're hoping to bring to Bridgeport. Emily. So I haven't actually seen a copy of this proposal. Only a very limited number of people at the city um, and at the Capitol have seen it so far. But I've had it described to me, and what I've heard is that um, the tribes uh, are most interested in developing a casino portion of of this development. They don't want to go into um, the hotel business in Bridgeport is my understanding from conversations that I've had. And I understand that it will be on a much smaller scale than what MGM has proposed, so not a $675 million facility and probably not even as large as the $350 million facility that the city was advocating for. So we might envision a mid-sized casino more along the lines of uh, what has been proposed for East Windsor. Emily Munson is in studio with me. She's a state capital reporter for Hearst, Connecticut Media. We're getting an update on the latest in casino discussions uh, for uh, the tribes and the city of Bridgeport uh, to come to an agreement on bringing a casino uh, to uh, Park City. Uh, as you can remember, the last uh, couple of years, there's been a lot of attention on the tribes opening a casino in East Windsor. So this is actually plans for a fourth casino, uh, Emily. Uh, obviously, the house speaker uh, trying to help this through. But what about uh, the other members of the General Assembly, and especially because they're trying to talk about this so close to the end of the legislative session? Um, is this a tricky, tricky timing to get something like this passed? 
It is tricky timing. I don't think anyone at the legislature expects um, this to pass before the close of the regular legislative session, which is midnight tomorrow, Wednesday. Um, however, this is a topic that could come up in a special session that is already planned. Uh, that special session is going to focus on tolls, but also economic development issues. We know that a hospital settlement um, that the Lamont administration has negotiated will be a part of that special session, and gambling could be as well. Uh, we talked about uh, Governor Lamont having uh, tried to come up with a previous deal uh, with the two tribes, but Governor L Lamont wanted them to actually walk away from uh, their plans to build this uh, casino in East Windsor. Uh, any idea if the Lamont administration is now involved with the negotiations happening? Um, the Lamont administration has been briefed on these negotiations uh, as of yesterday, um, but their involvement to this point has been fairly minimal in the most recent negotiations that uh, uh, Speaker Arasimowitz started. So I think uh, they're at the table now, and I'm sure they'll be giving their input um, on a proposal as it's finalized. Mm -hmm. Uh, we're talking about a new casino, but also uh, thinking about other ways for the state to cash in on gambling. So there's been a lot of talk about sports betting. How is this all tied into uh, the negotiations, Emily? Sports betting is essential to this deal. So um, one of the key motivators for the tribes to pursue a Bridgeport casino is they're also trying to negotiate to get themselves exclusive access to sports gambling, which they see as something that could bring um, an influx of millions into their businesses. So um, throughout the legislative session, the tribes have maintained that they should have an exclusive right to operate sports get, uh, gambling because they view it as a kind of casino game. And under the 19, the compact that was negotiated back in the 1990s between the state and the tribes, um, the tribes have an exclusive right to operate, quote unquote, casino games in exchange for giving Connecticut 25 percent of their slot revenue. Now, the tricky part here is what exactly is a casino game and should sports betting fall under this definition when sports betting didn't really exist back in the 1990s the way we know it today. So um, the tribes are trying to use this new Bridgeport deal as a way to bring sports betting into their casinos, hopefully without competition from places like off-track betting sites in Connecticut um, and the lottery. And from the proposal that I saw from the city, the Bridgeport casino um, proposal was an amendment to legislation that would legalize sports betting as well. And this legislation would give the tribes um, a right to operate sports betting on, in their casinos and also each run an online sports book, which mobile is the most profitable part of sports betting. Mm. So that's a really desirable offer for them. Um, now, we'll see as this um, agreement moves forward and as the General Assembly gets an opportunity to weigh in on, on the legislation, um, if the tribes will continue to um, have an exclusive right to operate sports betting um, in their casinos as, as this one document proposed, um, that's, that's to be seen. But it's definitely a key part of the negotiations. So still a lot of uh, questions to be resolved. But if the tribes were to get exclusive rights to um, sports betting, online betting, uh, that would just welcome lawsuits from some of these other establishments that you just mentioned. 
Yeah, so um, Sportec is a company based out of New Haven. Um, that's their American headquarters. They have um, an international part of their business as well. And they operate 16 off-track betting sites here in Connecticut and uh, Bobby V's, which you may know, down in Stanford. Um, and they have been at the table throughout the session advocating for a right to operate sports betting here in Connecticut. And uh, they have suggested that they will file a lawsuit if they are not given um, an opportunity to bid for a license to run sports betting. So there is a, th- a threat of um, of litigation from parties other than MGM here. I should note, uh, we reached out to uh, the tribes to see if they would come on the show. Uh, they declined, but did give us a statement saying that they believe both East Windsor and Bridgeport, both municipalities, can play a critical role in helping us to maximize jobs and revenue for Connecticut. Also, we got a statement from MGM uh, to get reaction uh, to these uh, these discussions between the tribes and the city of Bridgeport. Uh, they just said that conversations and proposals are certainly very fluid in the final days of the legislative session. And uh, as long as, even before MGM announced plans for this waterfront casino in Bridgeport, uh, MGM always believed that the state's largest city was the best location in Connecticut for a casino. Uh, Now, Emily Munson is here with me in studio, a state capital reporter for Hearst Connecticut Media. We're going to talk more about this idea to bring a casino to Bridgeport. We're actually going to talk with Bridgeport's mayor, Joe Gannam, right after the break. And we want to hear from you, too. What do you think? Does Connecticut need a fourth casino? You can join us, 860-275-7266, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Hi, I'm Lydia Brown here with Carmen Baskoff. We're the producers of Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio, and we want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the Where We Live podcast. Uh, We're taking a moment also to ask you to support the work that we do on this program to ensure that it is here for weeks and months and years to come. It's quick, it's easy, and it's secure. All you have to do is go to the phones, 1-800-584-2788, or go online to wnpr.org. I think one of the tricky things about a, a live radio show is uh, we're, we are only in one time block, and that might not be a time you're able to listen. So that's the, the great part of the podcast. You can take Where We Live with you wherever you're going at whatever time. So if that's something that's important to you, something you rely on to learn about what's happening in your community and in the world, the number to call 1-800-584-2788, or you can go online to wnpr.org slash donate. And thanks. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. If you're just joining us, we've been getting an update from Emily Munson, a state capital reporter for Hearst Connecticut Media, about plans to build a fourth, yes, a fourth casino in Connecticut. A deal is being worked out between the city of Bridgeport and Connecticut's two tribes, a completely different discussion than several months ago when Bridgeport lawmakers were supporting a casino resort proposal by MGM. Why the change? Joining us now by phone is Joe Gannam, who's the mayor of Bridgeport, Connecticut. Uh, mayor Gannam, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So uh, tell us a little bit more about um, how this all came to be, uh, Mayor Gannam. Uh, for some time, uh, lawmakers uh, in the General Assembly who represented Bridgeport, um, I'm not sure about, about the mayor's office, but looking at uh, really supporting an open competitive bid process with MGM. So why the change now? Yeah. Well, first of all, I learned a lot by listening to Emily, so uh, it was great background because um, a lot of people, obviously all over the state, 
on this and, and um, that are playing, I think, an important role, whether it's um, looking to create jobs for Bridgeport with a casino, um, recreational resort. Um, and it did start, I think, with a lot of, not start, but more recently, I think, got a higher profile um, with a dialogue with MGM. So um, I think it's always centered around jobs for, we say for Bridgeport, the largest city, but more jobs for Connecticut. So that's always been the, the kind of the, the call, I think, for public officials, whether it's uh, Bridgeport legislative delegation, um, whether it's now, as you see, even more more visibly, like mentioned, the speaker, the governor's office, and the governor have always been supportive of jobs for Connecticut. So if this can turn some way, whether it's over the next few days or weeks or whenever, into something that creates more jobs, I think there's a lot of people that will support it. Uh, Mayor Gannam, MGM's uh, casino resort proposal at Steel Point, uh, the harbor, um, would have been much bigger uh, than this proposal that uh, the tribes are um, working out uh, with the city of Bridgeport. You mentioned that jobs um, are important, but this would be less jobs for city of Bridgeport residents. So again, why not an open competitive bid process? Yeah, so anything that happens with, uh, let's say, gaming, for instance, or any large-scale I would say any large-scale development project uh, that takes investment uh, that's going to create those kind of jobs is going to need the state to support it and the state to approve it, especially with gaming. So um, so whatever that process is and whoever it is and what shape it takes, I think is yet to be determined. There's always been plans. We've had them in Bridgeport. Cities have them all over. So what might happen, who might propose something, uh, put out numbers of jobs and investment. But until really the pieces come together, and I'm hopeful. I'm still hopeful that um, that something can and will come together that creates jobs and develop for the development to add to what's some two billion dollars of development going on in the city now. So we'll see. Uh, it, there's a lot of people talking and have over the years over what they might do, what they could do if, in fact, the laws are changed. That hasn't happened yet. Hopefully, it will. And if and when it does, we'll see what develops. Uh, Mayor Gannam, can you give us an idea of some possible locations for this uh, this uh, potential casino in your city? Yeah, there's been a lot of talk about locating a casino uh, in Bridgeport, clearly. Um, and so I think if, if that is something that can develop, um, there's at least, you know, if I had a pick, and, and, and the city would certainly want to have some input on that, um, Three, four, five locations, I would guess. It depends on the size and scale. It depends on who the operator is. It depends on who the private partners would be. It would depend on the role the state wants to play and the city wants to play. So, you know, that's still an open sheet. I think we're, we're nobody's really um, honed in on uh, a location. I think there's a lot of spade work that needs to go in. Uh, unless legislation changes um, at this point, you know, it might be premature to be able to say it should be, it would be best um, depending on size and scope, where it should be in the city. Although I will say, again, with $2 billion of investment going on, private investment, non-casino gaming, this could be another thing that just helps create jobs, uh, helps move Bridgeport in, in a positive direction, and Connecticut overall. Emily Munson's here, a state cap reporter for Hearst Connecticut Media. Emily, go ahead. Mayor Gannam, it's such a pleasure to discuss this with you again. I understand on Sunday that you got a counteroffer with the tribes outlining uh, their vision uh, for this uh, casino, and you've had subsequent talks since then uh, with the tribes and bringing the Lamont administration into the fold. So I'm wondering if you can tell us, are the tribes offering to only construct and operate the casino portion of this facility, and how large might that be? 
Yeah, so, you know, there's been so much in the way of, uh, and I want to compliment everybody in Hartford, because whether it's our legislative delegation, uh, the speaker, um, all the work the governor and the governor's office have done on looking at opportunities to create jobs, specifically uh, on this conversation, what might be able to be something that develops for this part of the state, for Bridgeport. Um, so there's a lot of discussion, um, which is good, and I'm sure it's going to continue. Uh, you know, when people talk about size and scope or the what, where's, and the why's, or the locations, um, you know, those things, as discussions go on until something really comes and gets passed by the legislature, I think is, is a healthy process. We're participating in it, encouraging everyone else to. And if um, if something can be put together that looks like it can get the support of the, of the General Assembly and the governor, I'm all for it. Uh, Mayor Ginnam, you're speaking in generalities. Uh, obviously, uh, city residents who are listening now, besides jobs, uh, why is this a good uh, fit for your city? What's in it for them? Well, some of the ideas, certainly jobs, are, if, if it provided, and nothing else but jobs, hundreds, I would, I would like to think even thousands, depending on how size and scope might develop over years. But it's, it's uh, another attraction that would go um, and complement, let's say, we have an outdoor amphitheater with Live Nation that's being constructed now, uh, millions of dollars being invested there. Uh, we have a revamping of, of, of other amenities, a new comedy club, uh, downtown development. As I said, hundreds of millions, actually billions of dollars of investment. So it would fit nicely, whether it's on Bridgeport's waterfront per se or another location. And it's the type of uh, concept, I think, at least what I'm hearing, and would want to encourage would be resort style, um, making Bridgeport even more of a destination as we do that centered from the waterfront back. So Bridgeport residents have been uh, eager at times and certainly receptive over years to this concept. Um, we think it's the best geographic location anywhere in the Northeast, and some would say beyond. Um, through the years, it's been talked about. There's been proposals. Um, so if this is the time and place that something can develop in that, I think whoever invests in it, uh, certainly strong conversations with the tribes, will be pleasantly surprised uh, with the results of the return on investment and the, and the receptivity mm -hmm. of, of Bridgeport, the region, and the people that would come here. Are you confident that the state's tribes can even support four casinos? Uh, they seem, seem committed to also building in East Windsor. Uh, again, this casino is uh, this casino proposal is a lot smaller than what MGM could bring uh, to the city of Bridgeport. And uh, Emily Munson and other reporters have um, reported on stories that the cash flow uh, within the Connecticut tribes is not what it used to be. Uh, so I'm just curious um, how confident you are that if the legislature were to get this through, if the governor were to sign it, that this is going to be a good deal for your city, Mayor Ganim? Sure. I think that um, there's a real opportunity. I don't know the gaming industry. I, I know what I read and hear about. Uh, so I don't know, and I've said this to anybody that's in the industry, I would never tell them what the size and scope should be. It should be dictated by their good business sense, by uh, the input of public officials, certainly to a certain extent, but market studies. And that would be, at the end of the day, uh, determine whether it's in Bridgeport uh, or any other location, how any business should operate in a public-private partnership or, in, in, or independently. 
And so I think that's the approach that's being taken. I don't, it, now, now that's, that's the, the scientific kind of business approach. Me personally, knowing Bridgeport as its mayor for, uh, you know, collectively decades and knowing the enthusiasm and the, and the geography of this location, I, I think it behooves anyone not to understand or recognize this is a dynamic market that anybody who's invested, especially over the last decade here, have, have uh, seen their projections uh, or the results exceed any projections. And I, I think those that take a, a good look at it, whether it's on gaming or investing in resorts uh, or the other things that are happening in the city, are going to be more than pleasantly surprised from a business perspective. From a city perspective, we're going to make sure it fits in, that it creates jobs, tax-based growth. Uh, we've had great uh, leadership, as you mentioned, by the governor's office on, on this issue, we're looking at it from a state perspective with a focus on Bridgeport, which we I support 100%. And the speaker's role in, in, with the support of delegation, I think, can go a long way to possibly seeing a uh, change in legislation, and we're hopeful for that. Emily Munson, again, a state capital reporter for Hearst, Connecticut Media, also here in studio with me. Emily. Well, I just wanted to point out, Lucy, that among the public and many at the Capitol, there, there's large skepticism that a s- casino deal for Bridgeport can come together. And part of the reason for that is the, the long history here of efforts to try to bring a casino to the city. Of course, we remember that in the 1990s, Atlantic uh, City casino developer Donald Trump, who we now uh, know intimately, um, he owned uh, the land in Bridgeport that the uh, stadium at Harbor Yard is now built on. And he wanted to bring an amusement facility there that was going to contain a theme park and might morph into a casino. Um, also, Las Vegas uh, casino magnate Steve Wynn was also interested as a bidder at the time in Bridgeport. Um, but after you know four years of debate on this issue in 1995, um, the gambling expansion question was then shut down by the state Senate, um, a 24 to 10 vote at the time. Um, And some of the same arguments then were made against the casino as have been made now. Um, And I'm sure Mayor Ganim can weigh in uh, more on this because he was mayor at the time. But I'm I'm curious, Mayor Ganim, if you could speak to why you're more hopeful now that a casino could come to your city than um, when a deal collapsed back in the 1990s. Um, I think people continue to recognize that this location... uh, Bridgeport, this part of Connecticut along I-95 with all the geography that ties together for transportation, uh, the amount of cars that pass by, and um, the waterfront um, create this kind of unique yet untapped to a certain extent because it's a city that's like a lot of northeastern cities have gone through that industrial transition, um, I would argue successfully, slowly but, but successfully here, um, as one that creates a, a strong opportunity. The closer you get to understanding that, the more supportive you are for um, whether it's an investment by uh, private investment in partnership with the state, which is talked about now, whether it's by the tribes or others, um, that can really be something that's outstanding, spectacular, frankly, for not just the city and the region, but the state. There's always, um, from a distance, questions about, uh, gee, you know, the whole kind of when you get to gaming, the whole gaming industry, which moves quickly, uh, which changes. So I don't, I don't know that part of it. I do know we sit ready, willing, and able as a, as a city, I think, in partnership uh, with uh, well-intended leaders in Hartford, uh, hard work 
uh, coming out of people in the governor's office to see if this really makes sense, can create a lot of jobs here, can create the type of destination and be a part of Bridgeport's future that, that benefits the entire state. So uh, I'll continue to help and do my part if we can, and I think people see opportunity here. Uh, Mayor Gannam, again, uh, you're stressing uh, investment and economic opportunity, not only for your city, but uh, for the state of Connecticut as well. Um, but what about concerns about what gambling addiction would do for your city residents? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And those are those are the kind of tender issues that I think any venue, any community uh, face uh, to a certain extent uh, depending on proximity or, or opportunity with, with things like gambling, and we know there's other challenges that people have with possible abuses and addictions. And I think that anything that's done to expand that should include uh, as much as it can uh, an element that, that supports um, or helps to prevent. Um, and I saw some of that written in legislation that was directed towards East Windsor, um, and I would like to see that if, in fact, it's expanded in Connecticut here in Bridgeport, that we include that as well. Those arguments are well-founded. Um, they're challenges. People have personal challenges uh, with different things. And if we create an opportunity that's positive that creates jobs, that beats te- tax-based growth and helps Connecticut and the city grow, I think we need to be sensitive to that. And, and I would certainly encourage that. Again, uh, Joe Gannam is Bridgeport's mayor. Uh, thank you, Mayor Gannam, for joining us for a few minutes. Uh, I wanted to go back to Emily Munson before we head to break, Emily. Not a lot of time, but again, how will uh, this uh, deal move forward? Uh, I talked about some financial difficulties the tribes have had. Uh, so who's going to pay for it? Um I'm sure the tribes will seek um, some sort of outside financing as they're also working on to seek uh, to get financing for their East Windsor ca- casino right now. Um, and uh, we will see uh, how much they'll be able to actually invest in this project. I'm sure that will be reflected in the final language of a deal. But for the two tribes, Mohegans, uh, more financially sound than the, the Pequot? It's generally been reported that the Mohegan tribe has a stronger financial standing um, than Foxwoods, which has seen even more declining revenues. I want to thank Emily Munson for joining us, the state capital reporter for Hearst, Connecticut Media. Thank you, Emily. Uh, This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. After the break, we'll shift to the latest battle over tariffs between the U.S. and Mexico. How will that affect local manufacturers and consumers? That's coming up. First, it's our one-day end-of-the-year fiscal membership campaign. That's right. June 30th is coming around the corner. Please support Where We Live and all the great programming on Connecticut Public Radio. Here's the number to call. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Now, what's behind President Trump's latest remarks promising new tariffs on Mexico? And how will it affect Connecticut manufacturers, some who are already caught in the middle of the U.S.-China trade war? We're diving into these questions with Ben Castleman, a New York Times reporter who covers economics. Uh, ben, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. So uh, we've been hearing about the U.S.-China trade war. It's been ramping up. Uh, Remind us uh, why the U.S. first entered this trade war with China about nearly a year ago. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question, actually. Um, You know, I think there are probably uh, a couple of of answers to it. The, The one answer is... There have been long-standing complaints from U.S. companies, and and backed by by I think you know some some experts, saying that China has been on some level unfair to U.S. companies that they put up barriers to uh, to competing, that they um, uh, have uh, they they take intellectual property from companies that set up there, that they make it very difficult. They basically don't play by the rules of global trade. 
Uh, and so one one piece that we have here is is that the administration has kind of said, okay, we're going to use tariffs to try to force them to the table and, and force them to play by the rules. There's another argument, which is U.S. manufacturing has been struggling for a long time, in part because of competition from lower-wage countries, very much including China, and that somehow putting in place tariffs will help protect U.S. manufacturing, will bring back manufacturing jobs, or at least protect what we have. Uh, and, and that is a much longer-term uh, thing. That, that's something that, that suggests sort of a long-term strategy, not something shorter-term. And, and we can get into this, but, but probably something that where there's a lot less uh, support from, from economists and, and other experts. So this idea of bringing jobs back to the U.S. at too soon to tell if this is working. I, I, I would go further than that. I mean, I, I think we have seen some increase in manufacturing jobs, but there's very little evidence that it's about the tariffs. And I, I would say, you know, the overwhelming consensus uh, among economists is that the tariffs would not result in a in a significant rebound in U.S. manufacturing. You might you might see some jobs come back. You might see some production uh, come back because, but because of automation, not necessarily involving a lot of jobs. I, I don't think there's there's much reason to think that we would see a sort of return to the manufacturing heyday of uh, of the middle of the last century. So how have manufacturers uh, been making do, so to speak, uh, while this uh, U.S.-China trade war has been going on? And what industry specifically? Yeah, I mean, so it's really interesting. Um, you know, this, these were policies that were put in place uh, to benefit U.S. manufacturers. And there are individual examples that you can certainly find where that's been the case. Right? The most, the clearest example are U.S. steel and aluminum makers who uh, have clearly benefited from the protection that the tariffs provide. But of course, we we live very much in a globalized trading system at this point, and so a lot of U.S. manufacturers are using parts that they import from China, that they import from Mexico. In some cases, products go back and forth across the Pacific or across the the Mexican border several times in production. And so U.S. manufacturers that rely on parts from China, for example, are themselves dealing with the, the impact of tariffs. Um, you know, I, I spent some time a couple weeks ago out in Oregon um, where there's a substantial electronics manufacturing industry. They, they, re- they rely heavily on parts that are made in China. And so they're now trying to figure out how do we adjust our supply chains or how do we deal with the higher costs driven by tariffs you know, they are a U.S. manufacturing industry, but that is, is struggling because of, because of these tariffs that, that are supposedly meant to protect them. This is where we live. On the phone with me, Ben Castleman, who covers economics for The New York Times. Uh, we wanted to learn more about uh, the impact of the Trump administration's uh, trade war with China. And now there's also talk of new tariffs on Mexico. We're going to get to that in just a little bit. But we were also curious about um, how uh, these tariffs are impacting local manufacturers. So joining us now on the phone is Peter Joya, economic advisor to CBIA. Uh, Peter, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me. So we've been talking first about the U.S.-China trade war. Uh, what has been the impact, if at all, on local manufacturers? Uh, you know, we've got big uh, aerospace industry in our state. Yeah, well, to begin with, any tariff is a tax in another name. And I have not heard a single Connecticut company say anything positive about the introduction of tariffs. It's all been negative. Uh, certainly what... Uh, uh, prior speaker said about disruptions in the supply chain because uh, a lot of companies uh, use Chinese parts in their final product. That certainly is true across many industries in Connecticut. Uh, 
But in addition, it's pricing uncertainty. Gee, you know, if these tariffs go up, what's it going to mean to, to prices? Uh, what's it going to mean to how my competition prices if they're sourcing from non-Chinese or non-Mexican suppliers? It, it just raises uncertainty, and business people, particularly small business people, hate uncertainty. Uh, ben Castleman, uh, let's move on uh, to now uh, talk on new tariffs on Mexico. Um, why is this problematic, uh, maybe more so uh, on consumers than what's been going on with the, the U.S.-China trade war? Yeah, I, mean, I, I think there are a few things uh, going on there. Um, so, so one thing that, that's fascinating is that a lot of companies that were looking for a refuge from the trade war had actually been looking to Mexico. I talked to a number of companies that had been producing in China. Um, they they look at the tariffs there and they look at the tensions there and they say, you know, maybe we, we want to look for some options beyond China. And they actually looked to Mexico as a place to, to try to take a little bit of safe harbor. You know, if you recall, the, the president, of course, has been sharply critical of Mexico, but he really has not made that the focus of his actual policies. And, and the, uh, the Trump administration reached a deal last fall with, uh, with Canada and Mexico as sort of a successor agreement to NAFTA, sort of a, a relatively minor, frankly, update to NAFTA. And so it kind of looked like things were dying down in terms of tensions with Mexico. And so a lot of companies uh, started to say, hey, maybe we can, we can manufacture there. Uh, so they're they're now sort of left scrambling, trying to figure out what to do about Mexico. The other piece of this is that the tariffs that have been imposed on China so far have largely targeted um, not direct consumer goods, but rather what what economists call intermediate goods, basically parts that go into other things. And so that takes a longer time to flow through and and to hit consumers. What's what's happening with Mexico, at least if these tariffs actually take effect, is everything that we import from Mexico would be hit by a tariff, hit by a, a, a tax on imports. And so, you know, that includes uh, food. We, we import uh, something like $28 billion in food from Mexico every year. So that's something we would sort of immediately probably show up in prices on grocery store shelves. Uh, the auto industry would be extremely affected. You know, we, we have sort of post-NAFTA this very, very integrated uh, North American auto market where the U.S. manufacturers, uh, you know, build parts in the U.S. and then send those to Mexico to be assembled. Uh, a lot of, of cars and car parts go back and forth across the Mexican border several times. Uh, there's actually been recent research that finds that about 30 percent of the value of what we import from Mexico actually started in the U.S. And so on some level, we'd actually be taxing uh, U.S. manufactured goods just when they come back across the border from Mexico. And Ben, if this goes through, uh, this could happen uh, pretty soon, right? Uh, the, uh, President Trump saying in a Twitter post last week that he would impose a 5% tariff on Mexican imports on June 10th, ratchet up to 25% by the fall. Uh, I'm just curious in, in the sense of uh, these Twitter statements, uh, you know, how, uh, what, what's the implication of a 5% tariff on goods from Mexico? You know, and I, I think what, what Peter was saying a minute ago is, is important about the uncertainty. You know, a, a 5% tariff um, you know, is, is a real cost, and especially a real cost if, if you're talking about products that go back and forth a few times. That can start to, to ratchet up. 
Uh, but I, I think that, that most economists would say, you know, uh, the direct impact of a 5% tariff is probably not going to be that dramatic. Uh, if it ramps up all the way to 25%, that, that's a more significant, uh, more significant impact. But it's also this, this element of uncertainty. It is this idea that, you know, we thought we just struck a trade deal with Mexico. Uh, now, all of a sudden, that's getting blown up. Um, the, the president has said he wants to impose these tariffs over something nothing to do with trade. It's to do with the immigration dispute. And so now, all of a sudden, tariffs become a tool not just uh, for, uh, for trade policy, but for immigration policy, and you know who knows what else could follow from there. So that does make it very difficult if you're a company trying to plan to to think. Well, you know, tomorrow we might reach a deal with China, for example. Uh, but who's to say that that deal will stay in place for any length of time? Uh, Peter Joya with us uh, on the phone, economic advisor to CBIA. You're the economist. Uh, what's your take on this talk of, of tariffs from Mexico? Yeah, well, I think that it's correct that five percent is fairly minor, but. 25%, I think, w- would be huge. Uh, I mean, that would be enough to send probably some some areas of the country perhaps even into recession. Uh, there are certain states that have huge exposure uh, in trade with, with Mexico. Certainly, it would be devastating to some industries like the auto industry, and it would really increase uh, consumer prices. I mean, right now we haven't been dealing with uh, much in the way of inflation. Uh, 25% tariffs on on Mexico could start to trigger some inflation. And uh, there are a lot of Connecticut companies that, again, have Mexican uh, interaction in their their pipeline, whether it be for parts that they send down there or or parts that come from there. And so... uh, this is really, you know, this is this is playing around like a bull in a china shop. I mean, you're you're trying to deal with issues that should be dealt with with you know uh, very targeted diplomatic means. Instead, we're swinging uh, a sledgehammer of tariffs uh, around, and we're we're going to get hit. I think as hard as as, as anybody. I think you know. Me- Mexico would be devastated by 25% tariffs, but, you know, there's areas of the U.S. and industries in the U.S. and individual businesses that would get clobbered, too. Uh, Pete, we got a tweet from a listener who writes, want a good local example? A quote for new garage doors from Overhead Door has gone up $300 since he last got it just three years ago. Um, so I'm just curious, again, uh, are local consumers already seeing uh, these yeah. prices rising? Yes. Yes, but I think they will see more. Uh, uh, they don't think the general public's going to get it until uh, if there's a significant increase in tariffs on Mexico. When they go to the, when they go to the supermarket and they see the price of avocados double, and they see uh, other produce that comes in, when they see you know strawberries go through the roof in the winter, because you know there's a lot of stuff we get. Uh, you know, from Mexico or Latin America exclusively, and particularly in the winter months. Ben Castleman, who covers economics for the New York Times, uh, uh, back to the trade war between the U.S. and China. Uh, Connecticut Senator Chris Murphy predicted that both parties are going to come to an agreement. Although, uh, you know, how far off is that, Ben? I mean, I, I think that the tra- challenge here is that, is that nobody knows. I mean, there, there's been a lot of speculation. I think that the the talk with Mexico is 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 a little bit more talk than action. That that either the tariffs might not take effect, or that if they do take effect, we'll sort of see that first five percent, but not actually see it 
ramp up, that the president might look for a way to sort of declare victory. Um, but a lot of people were saying that we were close to a China deal, and it looked like we were close to a China deal, and, and then that that fell apart. And so I, I think that, you know, the sort of usual rules that we might expect to apply here, uh, we, we can't make those assumptions now. And, and so that's what everybody is ha- having to plan around. Ben Castleman, again, a reporter for The New York Times. Thank you, Ben. Thanks so much for having me. Also, Peter Joy, economic advisor to the CBIA. Thank you, Pete, for your, your uh, perspective. Thank you. Uh, this is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today's show produced by Lydia Brown. It's also our one-day end-of-the-year, fiscal year, rather, membership campaign. You can support Where We Live and all the great conversations and great programming on Connecticut Public Radio. Here's the number to call. 